Our daily podcast is live. So you're going to ask myself, where is the daily tap? I will tell you in a second. But before they do that, we're going to talk Packer offensive confidence rankings. We're also going to talk about the impact of Rashawn Gary being back at camp today. We're also going to go over a ton of Brewer tidbits. I was at the game tonight. Uh, It was great. I had a lot of fun. It is August the 8th uh, for those keeping at home. And this is Tapping the Keg Daily. Yes, we are changing the name. It is no longer the Daily Tap. I've had the Daily Tap for a very long time. Okay, like pretty much, I think it's been, gosh, I was dating my girlfriend. I was living with my buddy Fant. Uh, I was doing, I forget when I exactly started. Was it 2016? It might've been. So I've had the Daily Tap now for seven years and maybe we can do the history at the very end of the show because I know you guys probably want to hear about all the Packer stuff and a lot of the Brewer stuff that I want to talk about, but it is no longer. Uh, Partly the reason why is because it felt disjointed, right? Uh, The Daily Tap doesn't really vibe with tapping the keg and tapping the keg is the standard tapping the keg is what we named you know the whole thing after tapping the keg sports that is and so i needed something that was a little more you know kind of centered you know synergized i know that's a big corporate word that's not even really the word but i need something that would blend together and so here we go with tapping the keg daily uh, I will see how it comes off the tongue. I will say I will probably call it the daily tap a couple times here and there out of habit. Uh, but I hope that we are going to get used to tapping the keg daily, and that will be what it'll be going forward. Uh, and I hope tapping the keg daily. I also try to not sneak the duh in there. Uh, but yeah, it, I'm really excited for it. Um, I think that this is going to help you know us advance and push the ball forward and do a little bit more here and get people knowing what we are, not just calling it the podcast uh, each day, calling it Tapping the Keg Daily and getting sort of that brand recognition and getting in people's heads of, oh yeah, you're the Tapping the Keg guy. So that's what I hope to bring to you guys at the table. I'm very excited for it. Uh, Before we get going, uh, I'll be very quick on this. Uh, We're on Apple, we're on Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts. Make sure you're subscribed. If you're new to the program, awesome, welcome. If you are just, have joined us for a while, drop us in the group chat, great time to tell the group chat about us uh, as we get closer and closer to Packer season. We're on all the socials, Tevin the Keg on Twitter, Tevin the Keg Sports on Instagram, as well as TikTok and Facebook. Uh, So if you are listening to this at two times speed, I probably sound like the Roadrunner. All right. Let's get into our segment, which is the Packer offensive confidence rankings. I think there are different guys in football, basketball, baseball, every really every sport where you have a lot of confidence in them. And then there are other guys who are like, oh shit, we got to rely on this guy. We got to, we got to trust that guy. That guy has to be good for us to be successful. Um, and these confidence rankings you know waver throughout the year right if somebody has a really bad year say like Willie Adams for example if we're talking baseball right I think at the beginning of the year you had a ton of confidence in Willie Adams even though he had a rough last year you're like well you know the talent's there you saw it in 2021 you know that Willie Adams can be a really great player for your team but now it's at the bottom of the barrel for Willie I think Elton Jenkins uh if we go to Green Bay and as we're talking about the Packers Elton Jenkins was a guy 
in you know the early part of last season I think people waned confidence on people thought you know Elton Jenkins wasn't the same guy remember he was at right tackle for a little bit and then when he kicked back to left guard and then was a year after removed from the ACL injury it seemed like Elton Jenkins was a different player and came on very strong and so our confidence changed it is not a stagnant confidence but I think we can at least you know a preseason poll if you will of these confidence rankings of who we feel the most confident in and I do expect it to change right there's going to be injuries where other guys will emerge there will be situations that will drop your confidence in somebody there will be other things that are that are maybe out of our control right uh I'm trying to think of a a situation like that where it's like I don't know if there is a good example of it but you get my point. It's not going to, this is not how it's going to be the rest of the year. This isn't Bible, but it's at least our preseason kind of look at who should we feel the best about and who should we have some trepidation? Who should we have some challenges with that we say, well, this guy's good, but this guy isn't that good. And he is a weak link to the Green Bay Packers. So without further ado, the confidence rankings. We kick it off at number one with Aaron Jones. I think there is no reason to waver on Aaron Jones. I think Aaron Jones has been one of the more reliable Green Bay Packers for the last few years and has been a guy that I think has been a little bit in the shadows of Aaron Jones, of Aaron Rodgers, excuse me, other Aaron. And I I do think this is a year where Aaron Jones could shine and Aaron Jones could have a bigger year and be at that top five running back level by the end of the year. Now I know because AJ Dillon shares some of his carries, Jones doesn't get the shine and Jones is not the workhorse that a Derrick Henry or Saquon Barkley is because frankly, he's just too small. He can't necessarily carry the rock 25, 30 times every game and expect him to stay healthy. But if you take, you know, what he gets out of the backfield from a pass catching perspective, what he gets from running the football, it ends up being 20 to 25 times. And as the stats have shown us, when Aaron Jones touches the ball that many times, the Green Bay Packers win. When things got rough for the Rodgers of Fur Packers, it was when Aaron Jones was not getting enough touches. And so I feel the best about Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones this year. And I, I feel like Aaron Jones is a guy that I can rely on game in and game out. His injuries have been issues in the past. It, it hasn't really been that big of an issue, at least last year. I didn't really look, I can't, I can't recall if Aaron Jones missed the game, which is bad, bad research on my behalf, but which I'm looking up right now. But I don't think we had a Aaron Jones missed game. I mean, he rushed for over 1,100 yards last year. Like he had a great season for the Green Bay Packers last year. Yeah, he did not miss a game. He played the entire entire season. Season did not miss one one beat of the year, and that's awesome. And that's exactly what you want out of you know your star running back. So that's where Aaron Jones checks in at number one. Number two, I have Elton Jenkins. Uh, yes, that's ahead of David Bakhtiari. I think Elton Jenkins is just more reliable, and I think he is the best left guard in football. I think he does a great job protecting the interior line. I think he hides a lot of the stuff that Josh Myers struggles with. Um, and I just think he is as reliable as it gets at that position. Now, yes, he did have an ACL injury and that knocked him out a year and really hurt the Green Bay Packers. 
but that he has not been injury prone. He's not a guy that misses one to two games every year. You can count on Elton Jenkins. And so I think that's where he falls into number two because he is one of the stalwarts of what the Packers are trying to do offensively. Number three is David Bakhtiari. And David Bakhtiari, before the the knee injury, would have probably been number one with this team right now, taking away Aaron Rodgers, obviously. I think Bakhtiari would have been a surefire number one. He's one of the best left tackles in football. I still believe in David Bakhtiari. I think that the confidence that David Bakhtiari is going to be healthy week in, week out is fleeting, to be honest. I think if Bakhtiari wasn't as good as he's been, even when he's back, you know, post knee injury, I still, you know, would not have him this high because of just the the constant concern. And I understand that he's not going to practice all the time and Green Bay and him do a great job with load management. And I've talked to a few people who say like a little bit of this is in his head. Um, And I know Bakhtiari, you know, acts like this tough machismo guy, but a lot of things that I understand about that injury is there, it's a lot mentally for him. And so maybe he can get past those mental hurdles this year and he's the best left tackle in football again. I do not think Green Bay is going to move David Bakhtiari this season unless of a, you know, one in seven start or something crazy like that where it makes sense to say, all right, he's to the market, see what kind of deal you can get and bring Bakhtiari to a contender and the Packers get a top pick for next year's draft. But I I, I don't want to cross that bridge. Next year though, I I think it's legitimately on the table. It's definitely a off-season storyline to discuss in 2024. No no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Uh, So Bakhtiari though checks in at number three because I, I, I still have confidence in him. I still think he can be relied on. I still I still see him in high regard. Number four is Christian Watson. Uh, Christian Watson, you know, had the breakout second half. I think the haters could say, well, if Watson's in the first half and Watson's injuries, you know, continue to be an issue and the guy can't stay on the field, how are we supposed to have confidence in this guy? How are we supposed to believe that this guy is going to be a star? That is all fair critiques, but I'd also push back and see, did you see the second half of the season? Christian Watson was the spark plug. The reason why the Green Bay Packers went on the run that they did was in large part to Christian Watson's success. And so I think the sky is the limit for him. I, I do think that he has to work on, you know, maintaining his body, keeping his body right. I would imagine the Green Bay Packers and him have worked on that this offseason and he's ready to go and that those little you know bumps and bruises won't be as big of a deal this season but if he does have another year where those injuries come up then we're gonna have to kind of have that qualifier Christian Watson when he stays healthy so I think right now he sits at number four Um, I have a lot of faith that Watson's going to be one of the better players on the Green Bay Packers when the season is all said and done number five is Jordan Love I think that I have enough confidence that Jordan Love can get it done. I understand that there is going to be some hellacious games. I understand that Jordan Love is not going to be perfect out the box, right? There are going to be some bad games, all right? We all have them. We don't, it, it's very rare for an NFL quarterback to come in, light it up year one, and it's all systems go. It doesn't happen very often. There, there is a learning curve, and the learning curve sucks. I think we all hate it as fans because 
We want everything to be good. We want everything to look like it has in the past. And, it, and frankly, it's just not. It's not going to. But I still have a lot of confidence that Jordan Love is a guy and that Jordan Love can deliver for the Screaming Packer team and that he is going to be a offensive, maybe not juggernaut, but he's going to be an offensive stalwart. And it's, it's going to be consistent. It's going to be steady. It's not going to sputter out. I feel pretty good about where things are with Jordan Love right now. Um, and maybe some have him lower. Maybe some of them have him higher. Uh, I think it'd be crazy to have him any higher than Watson, Bakhtiari, and Jenkins and Jones. Uh, but I, I could see it. I could also see him three steps lower because the guys that we're going to talk about here upcoming have all made impactful moments with the Green Bay Packers. So I have Jordan Love at five. I, I think it's the right spot for him. I think the you know the sky's the limit for him, but it also kind of leads to if Love struggles, you know he could find his way you know way down that list. Number six, Zach Tom. I, I think Zach Tom is on the verge of a breakout season. The Green Bay Packers, you know, have killed it with offensive linemen year in year out in the NFL draft, and it seems like Zach Tom is no different. I think Green Bay would probably prefer Zach Tom to play center. But I think at the end of the day, it's going to be a better thing for Zach Tom at right tackle. The fact that Zach Tom can play both positions, the fact that you know he he has the smarts and the knowledge gives you a lot of confidence in that guy. And I just think him he is the next guy up. And he gained 15 pounds, 20 pounds. He realized he was a little undersized against these guys. He's still a bit undersized. But Bakhtiari, by all accounts, was undersized you know, when he first started out. So I think that Zach Tom has a chance to, you know, really sort of build a name for himself. And it would not surprise me if we're talking about Zach Tom as a potential pro bowler. You know, I don't want to go as far as say all pro, but I do think that we're going to come out of this and Zach Tom will find his way into the top five next year. Number seven is AJ Dillon. AJ Dillon is a guy that I have ridden the roller coaster with, right? I, I've had some awesome moments with AJ Dillon, you know, that Tennessee game, for example. I've had some bad moments, you know, right around that Buffalo Detroit last year was terrible. And we started to call, I think I started calling him Door County Dillon, which in retrospect, I realized I was being a little bit of a shithead. Uh, you know, as, as someone who, you know, at some point would would welcome interviews. I think if Dor if AJ Dillon saw that I called him Dor County Dillon on Twitter, probably wouldn't want to do an interview with me, which I, I understand. I, I get it, right? Uh, I was highly critical of him. And then he kind of came on strong at the back half of the year. And Dylan has said, you know, I need to do some different things. And he's been working on his game. And I think the guy gives a shit, you know, more than a lot of guys. And so I think that adds to the confidence that you have in him. And I think it's, you you know, with Aaron Jones, if he does get banged up, there's a reliable guy waiting for him. And I that gives you a great deal of confidence. So that's how I, why A.J. Dillon is still near the top, even though he didn't have that great of a year. Josh Nyman's at number eight. It's really the same Dillon reason, right? If David Bakhtiari or Zach Tom goes down, Josh Nyman is right there and ready to go. And I know Josh Nyman struggled a little bit at the left tackle position. He's more suited as a right tackle, but Josh Nyman is still as good of a sixth option for offensive tackle that anyone has in the NFL. And that is a huge chip that the Green Bay has. I do think they'll get phone calls about Josh Nyman. I do not want Green Bay to trade any of their offensive linemen. I want Green Bay to keep every one of them if they can't get a deal done to trade David Bakhtiari and give Nyman a big deal next year, then okay, 
let Josh Nyman walk to the highest bidder, whoever has cap space, which I have, I have no idea for 2024 at the moment. But you get my point. I, I, I think that there is a good deal of confidence that if Josh Nyman has to step in a football game, Packers are still going to, it's still going to be all systems go. Number nine is Romeo Dobbs. I, this might be too low for Romeo Dobbs. I'll, I'll fully admit that. Uh, I, I think Romeo Dobbs it actually had an underrated rookie year. He did have some injuries, right? Same with Watson. But he had 424 yards of receiving. That's pretty damn good for a rookie. Like, that's that's not like so just like, oh, he had a couple big moments here and there. Like, he was pretty consistent for the Packers. And remember, Dobbs was a guy in the first part of that season when Watson was hurt. And then Watson came on, and we all kind of forgot about Dobbs. Dobbs sort of faded as the year went on. Dobbs has a real relationship with Jordan Love. Uh, there is a Mountain West connection. Those guys, you know, look like, you know, some of the great wide receiver com- wide receiver quarterback combinations that we've seen in Green Bay for a long time. It would not surprise me if Dobbs is near the top of this list by the end of the year and he's competing with Watson as who is the number one guy. I know we all want to say it's Christian Watson. It probably is Christian Watson. But I do wonder the possession of Romeo Dobbs and Jordan Love's first year, if Jordan Love is going to use more of Romeo Dobbs. So this might be a little bit down on the list, but I think it's only digging him for the fact that he faded last year, the fact that he had some drop issues, he had some injury issues. I still do have a decent amount of confidence in Romeo Dobbs. Same with our number 10 guy, Luke Musgrave. Really there because I don't know what he is. I loved how he looked uh, at family night. As someone reminded me, it's like nobody's tackling they, they're just bodies out there, right? They're just practicing. And I was like, it was a great, like, good reset because I, what I saw with Luke Musgrave out there at Family Night made me want to just, like, buy the jersey, you know, you know, send it in, book the plane ticket to Vegas. Like, Luke Musgrave looks awesome out there. He, he's, he looks fast. He looks like he's going to dominate the middle of the field. I obviously just need to see it. I, I, how can I have confidence in this guy? I, I'm giving him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt over a couple of linemen who we're going to talk about here in a second. But it, it's hard to it's hard to put somebody, you know, that far ahead when you've seen, you know, real product on the field already. Number 11 goes to John Runyon. I think the thing with John Runyon, maybe John Runyon should be higher than, than Musgrave. You could debate that. Uh, they, they might have a conversation, you know, in the after the BCS committee has made their decisions. But I think with Runyon, uh, he just doesn't do anything spectacular. But he also doesn't do anything that's going to just drive you crazy. And that's going to make you want to punch a wall. He's just kind of there. He's just John running, which is okay. Which is fine. As an offensive lineman, that is perfectly okay. And so I don't have a ton of confidence in John Runyon, mostly because I haven't seen anything that's like, oh, wow, John Runyon was moving guys and doing, you know, all the things. Now, with the Packers probably being a little more run first than pass first as they've been, you know, in years past. And if we start seeing the Packers gaping holes in the middle, like, yeah, then I'm going to start thinking about John, John Ryan, John Runyon, excuse me, a little bit differently. So he checks in there. Number 12 is Josh Myers. Josh Myers obviously has had a rough camp. He's been much maligned. He's still a second round pick. He's still a guy that has talent. It's there. He's just not consistent with it. And so can Josh Myers bring that to the table? I haven't seen enough that's giving me a wealth of, you know, oh yeah, Josh Myers is going to turn the corner. He's going to figure it out. He's clearly the weak link on a very good offensive line. And, and look, 
I think most NFL teams these days would take three good offensive linemen. The Fax Packers have four pretty solid ones. And then a fifth one that is just there. I mean, they do technically have five good linemen. That's diamond. That's why they're bringing Tom inside. So I think that I am out on Josh Myers, if you will, in terms of confidence. But I, I still don't think he's going to directly cost the Green Bay Packers a game, if that makes sense. Like, I don't think it's complete caution, red tape, like a clear red flag of, of an issue. I, I think that it's just, he's not he's not really where he needs to be. Tucker Craft's the last one. I, I put him in here just at the last second as a guy who, you know, again, as we talked about, this is going to evolve. This is going to change as we, as we move through the year. And I think with Kraft, it's like he could come on and be better than Musgrave. And what if he's better than Musgrave? And what if he takes, you know, tight end one, you know, position? It's it's possible. And so I think you at least need to acknowledge it. But I, I don't have any, you know, basis to speak on the confidence uh, for Tucker Kraft. So as the confidence rankings, you can let me know what you think of that. Um, hit me up on Twitter, tap in the CAG. On Twitter, tap in the CAG Sports. On Instagram, DMs are open. Or you can reply uh, to the Instagram story or reply to the tweet and just give your own rankings. You know, it's a good little good little work activity on a Tuesday. Uh, just be like, all right, plot it out, the, the, the 13 names and give me your rankings. I'd love to see them. All right, let's talk a little more Packers and then we'll uh, move on to the Brewers. The Green Bay Packers had some newsworthy thing happen today uh, in tra- training camp and it wasn't just comparing family nights with the Chicago Bears fans. Uh, big miss social opportunity for me, by the way, on that one. Uh, all, all I guess I will say is who gives a shit? <laughs> like, I understand it's great engagement bait. I understand that it's easily shareable, snackable content. But I hate to be the old guy here. Who fucking cares how many people show up to practice? All right? Bears fans and Packer fans, it's ugly right now on the streets. It is no one's going to really come out of that war alive. It, it, everything is, you know, nasty, grimy. And if again, I, I think it'll be worse for the Bears. I heard Kyle Brandt today talk about how important this was for Jordan Love to keep ownership of the Bears. But then he also kind of talked about how it's an important game for the Bears. It's like, no, dude, this is all on the Bears. The pressure is on the Bears. The Bears have this opportunity to sort of rid them of the curse of the Packers. You know, they haven't beat the Packers since 2018, I believe. And it's like, they have the opportunity to do this. And they can sort of start a new era of Bears football. Green Bay knows that it's not, new era of Green Bay football is going to take time. It's, it's going to be next year. It might be the year after, right? It's it's not going to be right away, you know, week one. And I think that there is still a level of pressure, but like Rodgers and Favre both lost their first game at Soldier Field and then they won a bunch of them after. So it's not that relevant uh, in my opinion. So that that's a quick sidebar uh, before talking about Rashawn Gary. And that's what we're really here to talk about. Rashawn Gary activated off the pop list uh, basically eight months uh, since he had his ACL injury in Detroit. Uh, Rashawn Gary back practicing Unbelievable. I did not think that this would happen. I thought Rashawn Gary was going to be on the pup to start the year. I thought we weren't going to see Rashawn Gary for the first three, six weeks of the season. And now as it lines up, as Tom Silverstein pointed out uh, today on Twitter, it basically sets up for him to play the first week of the NFL season. 
Uh, here's what Silverstein noted. Rashawn Gary tore his ACL on November 6th. He, he is returning to practice nine months, one day later. Elton Jenkins has the fastest, most recent return, eight months, three weeks. Jenkins did not play a game a month later. If Gary needs a month, he'll be back for the opener. That is awesome. That is massive for the Green Bay Packers. They already were pretty good at edge rusher. Now you add Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith to that for Justin Fields. That makes things a lot more difficult. And as Joe Barry is trying to implement new things and trying to you know tweak that system to what they did at the end of the year, this gives Rashawn Gary some time to learn what's kind of been changed, right? What's what's changed? And I also don't know if you need to go full steam ahead for Sean Gary, at least in the first two weeks of the season. I think you can sort of slow play it a little bit. You can use him in a specialized form. I think the fact that you have Justin Hollins, you have Luke Van Ness, you have King, Kingsley Anabare, uh, like you have guys, I think he must be called JJ by the way, so I should probably call him JJ. But anyways, you have guys that are are competent pass rushers that you can just rotate in with Rashawn Gary. So it doesn't have to be the Rashawn Gary show and you are dealing with the Soldier Field dirt. Then you're also dealing with the ash or the turf at uh, Mercedes-Benz Stadium the week after before coming home for two games in Lambeau. And maybe that's, you know, when you say, all right, it's full bore for Rashawn Gary. Now, I think it's important to note, even though it's exciting that Rashawn Gary's back, and I think we all should be fired up that that the Packer defense is suddenly, you know, fully healthy, knock on wood, for to start the season. Like there's no big glaring, like, oh, Devondre Campbell's out or uh Kenny Clark's gonna miss, you know, week one. And these things still could happen, right? Uh that's preseason practice, like crazy shit happens all the time. But there is a outside chance that Green Bay comes into week one fully healthy, which also amplifies pressure on Joe Barry. But I want to stay on Gary for a second here. Remember, Elton Jenkins did not start great after his ACL tear. Elton Jenkins really played rough for the first six weeks, seven weeks of that season before really finding it again. We just talked about that, you know, in that confidence rankings. So there is a chance that Rashawn Gary is not going to be the same guy that we watched, you know, before he tore his ACL, where he was a complete menace. I'd be very surprised if that Rashawn Gary is immediately there. Now, there is the counter argument to that and say, well, Charlie, Rashawn Gary is a freak of fucking nature and rules don't apply to him. He's kind of in that Adrian Peterson realm. Well, first of all, nobody's in that Adrian Peterson realm. Second of all, yes, that is true, that he could, you know, kind of do things uniquely that we haven't seen, you know, post-ACL tears. And so I am curious to see, A, what do they do with Rashawn Gary in terms of the, you know, snaps in Chicago? B, does this this also put more pressure on Joe Barry, right? Joe Barry now has no excuses. Joe Barry can't say to management, oh, well, if I had Rashawn Gary, this would have been different. It's like, no, man, you have everybody. Whole squad's here. Like, you have to produce. And it, it does put a little more pressure on the Green Bay Packer defense because they don't necessarily have any real runway to be like, oh, yeah, if Rashawn Gary was here, we'd, we'd be all right. Uh, because, no, that's that's it. And Rashawn Gary is going to, you know, 
make plays. And I'm very excited for to get him back this early because that was completely unexpected. I, I did not see that. Uh, I, I honestly, and as I mentioned at the open, like I thought this was going to be into the year at least, and it's not. And so that is a huge, huge thing for Green Bay. And the first sort of pseudo win, I guess you will, if you would say that, of the year. So yeah, Rashawn Gary being in the mix on that Packer front seven is going to make him nasty. And I'll tell you what, Chicago Bears not like that news. Chicago Bears did not like that news because that makes things a lot more difficult. Even if Sean Gary does struggle a little bit with Katain, um, Justin Fields versus Sean Gary versus Justin Fields without Sean Gary, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit different of a ball game. And uh, that becomes a premier matchup on the outside. Uh, is Gary, you know, keeping Fields in? Can he make sure that Fields doesn't bounce out? Because that that is going to be a big topic of conversation. And, you know, the Bears, you know, offensive line that got absolutely ravaged last year. You know, Fields had a 22.5 sack rate, which one of the highest ever in the NFL. You know, that will get tested. And that becomes, you know, even more of a first test for the Bears as we kind of keep finding different storylines as we get closer and closer to the first game of the season, which is, less than, or is almost a month away. I think the first game is September 10th. So we have a day, a month plus. So I, I wish I, I can't wait. I'm getting more excited, you know, kind of by the day. I think I kind of mentioned that yesterday too, but it's like, just get me there. Just get me to the 10th and I, I will be a happy man. So happy to have Rashawn Gary back. And let's talk a little Milwaukee Brewers. The Milwaukee Brewers had a great game against the Colorado Rockies. Uh, they won 12-1. to uh, They were really good offensively after the fourth inning. Uh, the Brewers, or fourth inning on, uh, the Brewers struggled to start the game. Uh, it looked like Freddie Peralta was going to break the strikeout, strikeout record for the Milwaukee Brewers. The Milwaukee Brewers weren't going to get any runs behind him. And then they exploded. Uh, Bryce Trang had a two-run homer. They ended up getting five straight runs with two outs. It was awesome baseball from the Milwaukee Brewers and definitely something that we haven't seen very often uh, in terms of the last week plus. And it was it was awesome to see the Brewers break out. How many times can I say awesome is, is the real question. But no, seriously, it was very cool to see you know, the Brewers find it again. And this is the second straight game that I've been at where the Brewers have blown out their opponent. I was at the Pittsburgh game last Thursday and now at this game today. And blowouts are awesome. They're very fun to watch because it's like, you can't, you get a lot of action. You obviously get home runs, you get RBIs, you get doubles. Uh, and, and you just, you it's better than watching a 4-1 baseball game. I'll tell you that much. Um, you can appreciate a 4-1 baseball game, right? Uh, because maybe a pitcher's rolling and whatnot. But to see all of that offense, man, is a, is really a treat. And it's kind of ironic, too, that, you know, the Brewers had great crowds over the weekend for the Pittsburgh series. Didn't really do much with those crowds. They had 14 runs on Thursday night, which I think the crowd was like 26,000. And then tonight, which was like 24,000. So it's like, so you gotta, you can't just be a weekend fan. You gotta come for the the midweek games. And yes, I tweeted out uh, on tab, tabbing the keg, but the Brewers scored 26 runs with me in the building the last two games. And they scored eight in the games that I wasn't there. 
Like, that is more than enough reason for the Brewers to consider me for a sweep. I think that I should, it's kind of like little big league. I think where he slept in a suite, if I'm not mistaken, like that's what I should have in like, yeah, we could do right field, right? Like I should just be able to roam the club section, grab a Miller light when I want a Shandy, you know, maybe throw something on the grill and I'll just live there. Like if that's what it takes for the Brewers to win a bunch of baseball games by a bunch of runs, I will do that for them. I don't know how my wife or my dog will feel about that, but we'll, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. We got to talk about Freddie Peralta. I know we talked a lot about this offense, and I want to, I want to get back to the offense uh, here momentarily. But Freddie Peralta was great tonight. Uh, he allowed one hit. It was a home run to Ezekiel Tovar, and then other than that, Freddie was stunning. Uh, he did not allow a walk. He struck out 13 batters. He tied his career high in strikeouts for the second time in his last three starts. Uh, he has been absolutely phenomenal here in the last three games uh it's been truly truly fun to watch uh freddie's numbers have been just so so good and look at freddie's numbers through the last three games right to kind of amplify this freddie has 19 innings pitched 11 hits allowed two walks four earned runs 33 strikeouts okay that's absurd that is big deal numbers. Those four runs, right? One home run to Tovar, one bad inning against Washington. Other than that, Freddy Peralta has been on his game. Now, they asked him after a game, like, what has changed kind of his year? What's turned it around? He said he's focusing more. You know, he's concentrating, you know, not necessarily getting himself too distracted. I do think that I want to see Freddie against a good team. I think you'll, we'll get him against Texas next week. And I think that'll be a great test. To kind of see like, okay, is this just you're beating up on some bad teams, right? And the Reds aren't bad, right? And he's done well against Reds twice. But the Reds have been the only like goodish team that I've seen it out of Peralta. You know, the Braves got mat- got messy. You know, Texas would be a great test. Texas would be a great sort of barometer to be like, here's where you're at. It's not facing the Dodgers. So we can't, you know, use that as the barometer. But it's clear that the Brewers pitching is, this is what they envisioned all year with Peralta, Woodruff, and Burns. I realize they did not win the Woodruff start, but look at the last three games for the Brewers. This is from Adam McAlvey. Corbin Burns, Woodruff, Peralta back together last three days. 18 innings, seven seven hits allowed, five earned runs, four walks, 27 strikeouts, 59 swings and misses. Makes you a little more upset about Sunday's game, but we don't need to go react to that again what we did on Monday. But it, it just shows you, you know, how good this Brewers pitching staff was supposed to be all year. And now they're kind of back. And if the offense can kind of build some consistency here, I think there's a great chance the Brewers could pull away from the NL Central. I know the Cubs are playing well. They did lose yesterday. I know the Reds, you know, got kind of off the map beating the Marlins, you know, in a loser leaves town series yesterday too. But I, I still really do think the Brewers have you know more talent than both those teams and I think it starts with the pitching staff and there's enough offense on this team and we we've seen it now in two games right in the Thursday game and in the Monday game and I understand you know one of them with Monday with Peter Lambert he's not a good pitcher at all and the Brewers finally kind of got to him you know when they saw him a second time in the order with his Trang and then you know the third time in the order too and the Brewers then ate the Rockies bullpen alive 
I, I and then Pittsburgh for that matter, Mitch Keller was an all-star, but Mitch Keller has sort of regressed to what Mitch Keller was the year prior. And so that all-star is going to maybe look weird on Mitch Keller. It just be, might be a fun fact in the immaculate grid and Mitch Keller will never kind of live up to the potential that Mitch Keller was going to be. But it's like, you just got to string these games together. You can't necessarily rest on your laurels. And yes, the Brewers had a huge offensive output without Willie Adonis in the lineup. Uh, I, I think that is something you at least have to note, right? I know they got 14 runs with Adonis in the lineup on Thursday, but you give Willie Adonis a break and all of a sudden the offense, you know, starts producing. Uh, and I think there's a couple things there. Uh, first of all, I was kind of against, not against, but I, I saw Dom Serrano's uh, thing about how the Brewers fans should give Willie Adonis a standing ovation, kind of tell them, you know, that we have his back, similarly to what uh, Philly fans did for Trey Turner. And basically, Brewers fans told him to fuck off. If you read his mentions, it was ugly. Uh, it wasn't nice. Uh, and it was on, was it, Friday night, and Dom was kind of fed up with it, which I don't blame him. I, I thought it was a little corny, I'm not going to lie, uh, just because the fact that Trey Turner, you know, is going to be a Philly for the next 10 years of his career. So I think that there is something there where it's like, this is a long-standing partnership. We have your back. We know you're a good player. We know you're going to figure it out. But then I think when you read the quotes from Willie Adamas today, and you read just kind of what he's going through right now, I actually think a standing ovation, I think a, hey, we we believe in you, we love you sort of thing is, is really you know something that he might need. He said this to also Adam McAvely. Uh, he's tried everything, Adamus speaking, he can think of to get on a hot streak. He'll feel great for a day or two, then lose it. He's happy the Brewers aren't first, but knows if he were hitting, they would be farther, farther ahead. This is the worst time of my career. Uh, more to add on. You try different stuff to see what clips. I'm just hoping for that clip. I feel like I haven't found it, haven't been consistent. Uh, I've been having one good day at the plate and then it just goes away. Um, and then Willie says, you know, he's like, you tell yourself it just makes it stronger. Um, I, I think, I think we will, I think with Willie Adamas, it's just, okay, like fuck a home run. Like just absolutely who cares about home runs. All right. Just try to hit the ball the other way. Just try to, you know, have a little more discipline at the plate. I think watch what Sal Freelick does. I know that sounds crazy, right? But as a rookie, but watch what Sal Freelick's doing. Check out, check how he sort of fouls off stuff. He gets the pitch that he likes and he takes advantage of it. I think that is a great you know, lesson. Watch what William Contreras does in terms of taking the ball the other way. The guy drives the baseball. I think that's one of the joys of watching William Contreras is he just drives the baseball up the middle. He, you know, he sometimes gets in himself into some double plays and rolls over on balls, but more times than not, you're seeing William Contreras, especially when there's runners on base, it's up the middle or it's to right center. And I realize that might be sounding like your dad, but it's true. And I think that's the type of stuff that William Thomas just needs to be focusing on. I don't think, I think he should not care about hitting home runs the rest of the year. Just try to hit the ball up the middle. Just try to get it to the right side. Try not to chase so much. Establish some patience. And and yeah, some of that stuff's different for him, okay? But it, it as long as you can then do that part, then it's like, all right, can we bring back some of the power stroke? Can we, can we do some of the different shit that we've been doing? 
I still believe in Willie Adamas. I think I believe in him more now that he, I hear him sort of recognize he sucks. Like he knows he sucks. He doesn't need us telling him he sucks. I do think that Craig Council putting him sixth in the order, seventh in the order will only help things. I think that that helps him. It takes the pressure off. It just lets Willie Thomas be, be himself. And with the other guys hitting the ball, I think you can do that. And I don't think you're sacrificing anything having Adamas out there. Uh, I really don't. I, I think Monasterio and Brian Anderson are great. I know Brian Anderson had a triple, you know, that play, he ended up plating that run. But at the same time, I'm not like putting all my eggs in the Monasterio Anderson basket and saying that should be the team. It's Anderson's Monasterio, it's Terrain. Maybe Willie Adamas, not rush. Like that's, that's just ridiculous. You can't, can't do that. Uh, as for Bryce Strang, uh, I've been really impressed with Bryce Strang the last few weeks, man. He has really come on strong. Uh, definitely something to hold over a few Brewer fans' heads where they're like, I can't believe we didn't upgrade at second base over Bryce Strang offensively. Brewers knew. Brewers knew that they kind of fixed something, and they have. And Bryce looks like a legitimate offensive threat. And having that, you know, batting sixth or seventh in your order and kind of resetting your lineup is massive. And hits the home run today, plus 700. That was a nice hit by your boy. But uh, it, it was a re, it's been good for him. He's taking more walks. He's stealing bases. Like, he's doing all the things he wanted Bryce Trang to do offensively. And it's finally coming to him. And so that's a huge thing for the Brewers. And then Sal Frillick just keeps being Sal. Like, he had four RBIs today. Uh, he got on base, I think, all four times. Or did he? I think he did get out once. But, like, Sal's been an absolute fucking menace. Uh, and it's been awesome to watch. Uh, he is now up to 273 at the average. His OBP is 435. He nearly has a 200 uh, plus OBP compared to his average. I think uh, Archon 14 today had that his walk rate is plus 22%, which is nuts. So 22% of the time, Sal Freelix walking and getting on base. It's absurd. Also other absurd Sal Freelix stats. This from Mike Fasalo. Sal Freelich has 15 RBIs through 16 major league games, a franchise record to the fastest with 15 RBIs. The previous record held by Paul Molitor, 19 games. And as Sal notes, he went on to have a good career. That is unbelievable. And he's joining more company with Paul Molitor. And I, I, there's been a couple different Paul Molitor stats that Sal Freelich has you know, been a part of, and yeah, you, it, you're you trying really, really hard to not be like, this guy is a, this guy is, you know, the next, the next big thing. This guy is the next, you know, Molitor. Uh, and, you know, I know uh, some people say Weimer has a little bit of a yount look to him. I will I will not go uh, to those depths. So hopefully Brewers did not use all, all their runs. Kyle Freeland has been tough against the Brewers in the past. Uh, he dominated the Brewers earlier this season. Uh, the Brewers have been a little bit better against lefties. They were not good against Bailey Folter on Saturday, but maybe you know this will be a different story. Wade Miley going for the crew. Uh, Miley uh, has been was all right in his debut back. Uh, the Rockies used to be solid against lefties, and then Randall Gertrick and C.J. Crone are no longer on the team, so the Rockies are no longer good against lefties. Kyle Freeland. I, so I thought I thought the Brewers were bad against Kyle Freeland. I didn't realize it was this bad. Here is this stat. 
The Brewers are four for 55 against Kyle Freeland. Kyle Freeland with 18 strikeouts and an 073 average. So if you're expecting 12 runs tonight, probably not going to happen. Wow. I didn't realize it was that. I, Kyle Freeland, known brewer killer. Holy shit. Then you have Chris Flexen uh, on Wednesday, who's a gas can. You got to beat Chris Flexen. And you have Adrian Hauser going for the Brewers. So, like, and that's a huge start for Adrian Hauser, too. Uh, don't make no mistake about it. Like, think, you know, now Adrian Hauser has that fifth role. And will he be able to capitalize? Colin Ray gets sent down. It's Adrian Hauser's now. And I, I hope he follows through. Because if Adrian Hauser can be, you know, a 4.5 guy that that makes the Brewers even better uh so yeah really good stuff uh tonight and I hope you know that this is a sign of things to come and I hope there is a Willie Adams breakout at some point uh because I I thought it was happening uh after that red series uh before the all-star break and it just it never came uh it, whether he just forgot about it whether it just you know things change whatever it may be uh it never never came back Final thoughts here. Uh, so, as I mentioned, uh, Daily Tap no longer. It will be Tap the Keg Daily. Uh, and I'm excited for it. Uh, I'm kind of bummed out uh, that Daily Tap's gone. I don't know. It, I, it was my own creation. Like, I I came up with Daily Tap. Uh, maybe I'll use the Daily Tap in some other capacity, right? Uh, maybe it'll be, you know, some sort of show that we have. Or maybe it's like a YouTube thing. I don't know. Uh, but I, I just looked at Daily Tap and I was like, I keep calling it the podcast. I, I went away from the name, I don't know, probably like three weeks, three months ago, four months ago. And I just started calling it the podcast when it wasn't tapping the keg. And I was like, Nobody, no one's going to like look this up, right? Uh, but tapping the keg daily, you're, you're going to look that up. We're going to pop up on that. So we're going to do that going forward. Um, I, I'm sad to see Daily Tap go. Um, I, I, I think that not probably the only one who has daily tap. So I, I also remind myself of that, uh, but I will try to, I'll try to weave it back in. We'll, we'll figure out a way to bring back daily tap in some, some way. It's not I will say this podcast though is not changing. Like we're, it's the same shit. We're, you know, three or four topics, 40 to 50 minutes. Uh, and at, you know, basically three days a week when I, or four days a week. Yeah. Three days a week. When I'm, you know, no, no shake hand two days a week when I have shake hand and Mitch. Uh, so that's, that's kind of how we're going to keep going, man. And we will not be back probably tomorrow. I might pop in if Hard Knocks has enough meat on the boat to talk Rogers. If not, uh, Mitch and I back at it on Thursday. Then on Friday, uh, you'll have me again, uh, getting you ready for the first preseason game. So that'll be, that'll be the week. Uh, enjoy your Tuesday. Enjoy your Wednesday if I don't see you. I will say it, but Wednesday would literally be 10, 15 minutes of hard knock stuff, maybe a little bit of Brewers, whatever happens, you know, if Kyle Freeland owns us again, and then, then I would bounce out and be done for the day. So I might put a poll up to see if you guys want hard knocks content or if you're like, no, uh, we don't need it. Uh, so we'll uh we'll put that out for the people maybe we'll, we'll decide um so yeah we'll uh we'll see you then uh either we'll see you tomorrow or we'll see you with mitch on thursday all right take care guys have a good one bye